Esther, the chapter number four. If we can go there, we'll read for a few moments here through this chapter. Verse number one. When Mordecai perceived all was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on a sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice and a bitter cry. And he came even before the king's gate, and none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning among the Jews, fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth uh, and ashes. Would you read verse 4 and 5 with me out loud, everyone? So Esther maids and her chamberlains came and told her. Then was the queen exceedingly grieved. And she sent raiment to the clothe Mordecai, and took away his from, and he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the chain chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, to know what it was and why it was. Verse number six, the Bible says, So Hatak went forth to Mordecai, and unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him. And the sum of money, 10,000 talents of silver to be given, that said that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the Jews to destroy them. Also he gave him a copy of the king's writing of the decree, and was given to him at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her, that she should go in unto the king to make supplication before um, unto him, to make the request before him and for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. He, again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him a commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that, that whatsoever whether man or woman shall come into the king, into the inner court, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come unto the king, to the, unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. And then let's read verse 13 and 14 together, can we please? And then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Holdest thy peace at this time. Come to deliverance, arise the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Verse 15, the Bible says, Then Esther bade him return Mordecai this answer. Go and gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat or drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And uh, if I perish... I perish. And so let's, let's read verse 17 together, can we? So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that has come to us to look in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of uh, being your servant and 
knowing you and looking into the Word of God and coming together with church family members who some came from North Chicago and others from Lowell and Hebron and others from Lansing and Calumet City and Hammond and Hobart and Portage, Crown Point. Thank you, Lord, for the effort that's been given to come here. Thank you, Lord, that people who could be here are here. I thank you, Lord, for those who are watching by way of live stream around the world and, uh, Lord, who are not able to be in their service, and I, I hope only by providentially hindrance, help all of us who can be in church to be in church. I do pray that you speak to our hearts and you'd help us, Lord. We pray that you would give me wisdom as I share in public what you showed me in private in studying this book. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying this summer through the book of Esther, going kind of through the story. Most of you are very familiar with the story, but let me, if you would, please allow me to share a little bit of the background. Shushan is the southern uh, palace for the king of Persia. And uh, his name, uh, Hazarus, is the king. Hazarus is kind of a general name. It would be like Pharaoh or king or prime minister to some extent. But it was, a, it was, a, it was not necessarily an individual person. Um, that we, that we ha- that wasn't his, it was kind of his general name. Nonetheless, uh, time has gone by. Many years prior to this, the Jews had been given permission to go back to Jerusalem. But, a, but many of them decided, you know what, it's much more comfortable here. To go back there, you'll have to build up walls and hang up doors, and you'll have to rebuild our businesses, and we're doing good here. We're making money. We're doing okay. We've kind of melted into the society that's here. We're good. We'll stay right here. And among those was Mordecai and Esther. Esther and Mordecai are related. Uh, Esther's mom and dad are deceased, and Mordecai raised her like his own daughter. And uh, he loved her and cared about her. But the story begins with King Ahasuerus having 127 provinces. The provinces had grown since Darius was overseeing the king or overseeing Persia. He had 120. Now it's 127, and he is uh, celebrating his success and invites his leaders to come from all over the known world at the time and to have a have a party. And there was a six-month party, 187 days in length. 180 days, he showed them all the beauty of his kingdom and all the wealth that he had and his strength. And then the last seven days, there was a drunken feast. He had one for the men, and his wife hosted a party for the ladies. After seven days of alcohol, uh, he thought a good idea to liven up the party is to bring his queen. Told, sent news to her to get out here and come over and see how beautiful you are to all the men. She wasn't interested in going to a room full of drunken men and leaders, and she refused to come. And it really set off the kingdom. It bothered him, made him angry, and he, uh, he, his men said, you've got to do something. You've got to do something, because my wife gets wind of this. She's going to disobey me, and all the girls are going to have a revolt. And, and they made up a rule that uh, a man when in, in Persia was a man of his house, and the ladies had to listen to the man, so forth and so on. Kind of a silly thing, nonetheless, seems to me. But a post was made, and a rule was established. But it would not be, but four years later, he would still be a single man. Not, uh, he's not a moral man, but he was no longer had a queen. For four years, he went without a queen, and they did in that middle of that time, and, and probably three years into it at least, maybe two and a half years, it was suggested to him that he would go and scour the kingdom for the most beautiful virgins in the known world at the time of the 127 provinces, and he would send them there. And whenever that, uh, that, uh, that 
bachelor thing was going on, uh, Mordecai suggested that his beautiful niece or cousin would uh, enter into this potential uh, queenship and get, in, get into that and be nominated possibly to be the queen. And so he put her, but told her, don't, don't disclose that you're a Jew. Don't tell people you're a Jew. But uh, she was beautiful. She seemed to have a beautiful spirit too. And she, the, Bible, the Bible tells us she was known not only for the people that took care of her, but also for the queen, is that she wanted nothing beyond what was assigned to her. She had simple taste. She was contented in her spirit. And she didn't, she, even though she had a very plush, she had seven maidens who took care of her. She had everything she needed to make herself beautiful. She had the braid, someone to braid her hair, somebody to do her nails. She had the, the makeup or whatever it is that she needed to prepare to, to see the king. But uh, she did not ask for anything else. It looks like to me that probably girls got kind of used to the treatment, and they started saying, I don't like this, I don't like this. Can I get a different girl, or can I have this? I don't like this color, or whatever. And they would complain, but she did not. And that was what stood out in this situation. When she went in, the Lord gave her favor with the chamberlain in charge of, of this whole project, and he gave her a favorable place to stay for this year while she prepared herself and the other girls did too. And then the king began to entertain his subjects and which uh, queen he would, which girl he would choose to make uh, queen. And um, of course, now we find that Mordecai is checking up every day, finding where she is in the process. How's it going there? And uh, she, she is, uh, she, it's her turn. And when it's her turn, the king, the Bible says, loved her. And he wanted he wanted her to be the queen, made a public holiday from the world and that, uh, he, that he had, that they were going to give a day off, a day of release, a day of release of taxation because there's been a new queen uh, put in Persia. And so five years goes by, and she is uh, now, she has been the queen for five years, and now her uncle or her cousin, if you will, uh, Mordecai, is no longer on the outside looking in. He's on the inside. He is in the king's cabinet. He is in the king's court. He has a prominent place inside the gate of the king. And uh, we find that uh, he, has an, uh, he has an adversary in there named Haman. Haman has now been made number two in the kingdom under the king. Looks like the king is quite a, a sot. He's a drinker, an alcohol uh, uh, wine-bibber, and certainly is a mess. And Haman looks like he's got the same ideas in, in mind, but nonetheless, uh, he, is, he is made, and the king says, look, anybody that comes by here, be sure you bow down to him and almost treat him like a, a deity. But um, Mordecai and him probably have some history. They had worked in the same area, but when, it, when this time comes, five years go by, they're working with the other. Now the king says, this is going to happen. Now Mordecai, when he, he comes by, he does not honor him. And it was found out when guys say, why don't you honor him? Why aren't you doing, why don't you get on your hands and knees when he comes by? Why aren't you worshiping him? He's second in the kingdom. And it, would, it came out in the conversation, he was a Jew. And that was one of the reasons why. And Haman got angry and tried to find a way in which he could destroy not just one man, but destroy everyone who was Jewish. And he did it through, through chance somewhat. He drew straws or, or threw the dice and and uh, they did a thing called purr, and, and that was a chance. And he said, okay, it's the first month of the year. When, what month of the year do we want to have all the Jews go down at the same day? And they chose the 12th month and the 13th day. 
the last month of the year and the 13th day of that month to be the day when they would, be, they would die. He took his idea to the king and he told the king, he said, look, there's a group of people in our kingdom. They're bad dudes. They're, they're weakening our kingdom. We need to get rid of them. They don't listen to our laws. They're contrary to our laws and we can get rid of them. And the king didn't seem to do much investigation, just uh, probably did a toast and took his ring off and gave it to him. He says, plus, we'll make sure that 10,000 talents of silver are put into your treasuries uh, by the people who take them and take their stuff. And we'll make sure that at least it, it won't cost you anything, but it will add to your treasury 10,000 uh, talents of silver. And uh, that was the plan. The king took his ring off, handed it to Haman, said, whatever you think would be great, go ahead and use it on there. Make it a law. And it went about. Now we come to chapter number four. Of course, there's several lessons that we're learning in this whole situation. One of those is alcohol complicates relationships, kingdoms, uh, discernment. And it's just one of those things I would encourage every child of God to avoid completely. And I think there's enough, there's enough information on that. Number two, we learned that wrath really complicates things. Wrath is one of those things that uh, the Bible says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And when anger is upset, we do not say the right thing. We do not do the thing. I wonder how many arguments wouldn't happen if wrath were not preeminent. I wonder how many things that wouldn't have happened, accidents. You know, I think about uh, uh, our son when he went home to be with the Lord. The reason he had the accident, there was a lady and her boyfriend's upset with her. She's pulled off on the side of the road. She's on her cell phone. Uh, she has been sitting in traffic for hours because there's an accident on the other side, and she, uh, he wants her to come see him, and she's a nurse, and she wants to go back to San Jose, and they're arguing on the phone, and in, in, a, in a moment of frustration, she just hangs up the phone, she throws the phone down, and she pulls out in front of the vehicle that our son is in. And then whenever they go around her, she just like, ah! Does a U-turn to hit the back of her, and a few moments later, uh, Tyler's with the Lord. You know, wonder just how many things would not have happened that do happen because we get anger. And many times people who are angry don't want to admit they have an anger problem. They say, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. <laughs> oh, come on. Call it what it is. We didn't have an affair, we were adulterers. <laughs> and we're not just frustrated, we got, we got angry. And boy, anger causes all kinds of things. And, and it's based in pride primarily because we're focused on how I want things to be, uh, how I feel they ought to happen. What happened to me and uh, how I want things to happen. And when we get focused and those things are priority, we're full of ourselves, we're full of pride, and anger will surface in a, in a, in a garden that is uh, full of pride, for sure. And we can see it. And it happens here. We see it many times in this book. Thank God for somebody who would take care of children. Uh, like Mordecai, I took care of Esther. I just thank God for folks who are able and that God has given them the opportunity to love, teach children in the nursery, teach children in, uh, in school, teach, uh, teach children in the Sunday schools, but also those who would adopt and care for children, especially for fatherless ones. And uh, this year, Brother Keith Cowan and I were talking, I think we're going to do in, in, in uh, our... Uh, Vacation Bible School, we're going to take an offering on Wednesday night. We're going to challenge young people to give to help uh, 40, uh, no, 50, some 50 or 60 orphans over in, uh, in Ghana. That we, got a, we, got a, we have a video and a picture of them. We're going to try to get them all backpacks for the fall. And all of them get shoes with the funds that we raise. And that's good because those are kids that are fatherless children who need the encouragement of the Lord. And I think we ought to do that. Well, if we see that, we also see that... Um, 
that Haman is a descendant of Agag, the Amalekite. And, and we find that Mordecai is in the same family with Saul. And Saul's ancestors didn't do his job, and now he's having problems years later with Agag. And the truth of the matter is, our past failures will affect our future descendants, uh, without a doubt. And you say, well, no, this couldn't happen to me. It's going to happen to you. And be sure your sin will find you out. There's no excuse for it. Let me just tell you, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 18, we can't, this proverb that was going around the Jews at the time, that uh, our parents ate sour grapes and now our teeth are set on edge, won't work with God. Because if you do the wrong, you, you know, you do the crime, you do the time. You can't be blaming everybody else before you. At the same time, we'd be fooling ourselves to think that what our families did in years gone by has not affected our lives today. And it's just, it's true. Uh, some of you are more prone to certain sins and you wonder why. And I think sometimes it's because of familiar spirits, family uh, contamination of sin and old stubborn habits that Satan got his foothold through that. And we see that happening here in this passage. We also see that money's in the middle. One of the things that really convinced the king was the 10,000 uh, 10,000 talents of silver. And boy, money is uh, not the money is not the root of all evil, but the boy, and so many of our decisions are made purely upon finances, bad medicine. And there's no telling what someone will do if money becomes a factor sometimes. And we make it way too high than we should. I was talking to a man the other day, and he actually today he told me, he said, uh, there's something that needs to be done. But the people are so concerned about money, they will not do what they need to do. He said, money, they, they, they say they love God, but money is such a huge God to them that they, if they know there's God, they know loves them, and they always take them to heaven. But they don't trust him with the financial management and with the, with the risk of any kind of a financial loss or less finances. They're not sure they can trust the Lord with that. And Well, you put money in the middle of anything, and I tell you, if you don't handle music or money in your Christian life, if you don't address it and get on the right side or on God's side of things in regards to those two things, I do believe they're crippling problems that will show forth themselves in our life and our testimonies, and they'll keep us from having the victorious Christian life. If we don't, it doesn't mean you make all the right decisions. Linda and I sat on the couch today and talked about a financial matter. Probably some of our most terse conversations we've had in our marriage have revolved around finances. Linda oftentimes has to kind of pick her poison when she talks to me about it because it, I don't know why. I know why, because where your money is, your, your heart, it's a, it's a heart matter. And I love Linda's, I'd love anybody in the whole world, except for in our marriage, money surfaces as an issue sometimes. And it does in every relationship in our church. And tomorrow morning, if we're up an hour, we'll all, we've all thought about money today, and we'll all think about money tomorrow. Every one of us have thought about it in some way, shape, or form. And if I asked you how you thought about it today, you could tell me. And I could certainly tell you many times that I've thought about it today. Because it's very focal. But the Bible's very clear. We cannot serve God and Ma'am, you've got to make your choice on that. And there'll be options where you have to decide, you know, here's what God wants me to do. Here's what, here's finances. And then God uses finances to direct us. Sometimes the reason you don't have the money to do what, God, what you're supposed to do is because you're not supposed to do it. <laughs> you're not supposed to buy that thing today. 
You're, you're not supposed to just get out the car and go, dun, 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 charge, you know, let's, let's do that. When, not just because, well, I don't have it, and I need that couch today, and if I can do it, I can get it on credit, and, and, and you don't have the money, and there's a reason why you don't have the money, because it's not your day to buy the car or buy the couch. There are some things that God's trying to direct you in. There are some things that if you'll wait a little bit, God has the funds for you. But we oftentimes get into debt because we, lacked, we failed to trust the Lord, and then debt gets discouraging. It gets divisive. It gets distressful and oftentimes disqualifies us from doing what God wants us to do. We see money's in the middle there. And then after the big law is sent out to kill all the Jews on the 12th month and the 13th day, the king and Haman sit down to drink more alcohol. And the city of Shushan is perplexed. And oftentimes I think that's what we have as a nation. We have politicians, we have leaders that are just, uh, they're living high on the hog. They have not a care in the world. They don't care about putting fuel in their car. They don't ever do it. <laughs> they don't care. They just get in their Learjet, go here, go there. They don't care about the finances of the average person. They sit down to eat and to drink. But oftentimes the subjects of people who are cruel and motivated by finances and things of that nature, they suffer greatly in those ways, and they're perplexed while the leadership is lost in their luxury. Let's look at chapter, chapter 4. We see here now that uh, Mordecai, immediately after the, the decree has gone out, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. And at the conclusion of the chapter, he is trying to get the queen's attention to do something about it. Now it's time. Five years. She's been the queen now for five years. And uh, she is, she's, she's, she's enjoying life, and now all of a sudden this, is, this has come to her. She's probably got very comfortable in her, in, her, in her way. But now there's a trauma going on. There's a crisis in the kingdom, and it revolves around her people. And her uncle is now seen, and when he's normally in the gate, now he's outside the gate in sackcloth and ashes and, and running around out there into spectacle. And everybody's like, what's going on? And it gets word to her, and of course, uh, not only him, but every Jew that got the decree, they went into mourning too. They've got 11 months to figure out what they're going to do. They're going to move away. How are they going to escape the sword? How are they going to deal with this 13th day of the 12th month? How are they going to escape this terrible onslaught in this murderous uh, plot? So there we go. We've got, uh, we've got Mordecai, and he's one of the leaders in the kingdom. And he, instead of, he takes off his royal garbs and his suit and tie, if you will, and he goes out and puts on a burlap sack. And he just, he, he sits there and cries. And uh, Esther hears about it, and she sends clothes out. She said, no, you tell my uncle to put some clothes on and stop making a spectacle of himself. What is he doing? The Chamberlain Haytack comes back and says, hey, man, what are you doing? Here's some clothes. He won't take it. He said, what's going on? He said, well, let me tell you what's going on. There's been a law going out in 127 provinces to kill us, to kill every Jew on the 13th day of the 12th month. Look, you can see it yourself. And he has a copy of it, and he shares it with Haytack and, and then uh, sends it back to to Esther and says, you need to do something about this. And Esther says, are you kidding me? I can't do, I can't go into the king. There's a law of the Medes and Persians. If you show up at the king unannounced, he, he just kills you. It doesn't matter who you are. And for 30 days, he hasn't called for me. I haven't talked to him in 30 days. To walk in there right now is a death, is a death wish. 
The only thing that could happen is if he took out his golden scepters and let me come and touch it, he might accept me, but that doesn't look good. I don't know what's going on. And, uh, and then, of course, Mordecai uh, gets the word about that. He hears her excuse, and then Hatak comes and says, Do you think with yourself that you're going to avoid being punished with the rest of us? You think that all the Jews are going to live and, you're, and you die and you're going to live? He says, and if you don't do something, if you don't do something about this, um, God's going to do something. And he'll, he'll figure this out without you. But you need to understand that you may have come into the kingdom. You may have been made queen and given a little bit of authority for such a time as this. This is why you were born, Esther. This is why you are not still sowing and making uh, potholders. This is why you're not in some alley back there we used to live, and I was taking care of your little girl. This is why you're in the palace. This is why you have authority. This is why you have access. You've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You need to figure this, this out. He reminds her of that. And, of course, those classic words that he shared with her. And then she heard that, and it resonated with her, and she went back and told Mordecai. She said, go tell him. Hey, Tack, go tell him. Tell him, tell the people to fast and pray. He didn't say use pray. It's kind of interesting. The book of Esther, God is not mentioned one time. Prayer, I, I think it had been so easy to add prayer with this, but prayer is not mentioned, but it's implied. But he said, fast with me for three days. I'm going to fast. And my maidens are going to fast. And then I'll go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. I'll take my chances. I'll do the risk. I'll go do that. And uh, that is the, that's the story, boys and girls. But why in the world did God give us chapter 4 in the Bible? What are some things that, uh, that we need to see when we see a crisis? We see a difficulty in our nation, in our world. When we see lives that are being hurt and, and uh, getting away from God, who obviously the gospel could change. The truth could change some things. There is a sentence of death on every human being, not just the Jews. On the 13th day of the 12th month, there's people all around the world that are dying as we speak, going into eternity without the Lord Jesus. There's people in my neighborhood, in your neighborhood, that need to hear the gospel. I was so glad that Josh encouraged us to pray. And I prayed for about 15 people while we were doing that verse that came to my mind that I know are not saved yet. Some of which I prayed for today and I tried to, tried to reach out to and sent some texts to. And I need to follow up with them and make sure that I get another opportunity to share the gospel with them. But we ought to pray for the lost. There are people who need that. Well, what, what kind of, uh, you know, he said, he, and this is two things he said uh, in, in, chapter, in chapter 4. Why don't you look at it real quickly? I think you can see it with me. Chapter 4, and let's look at verse number 12, or 13 and 14. And Mordecai commanded and Esther, and commanded to answer Esther, think not with thyself. And by the way, that's our, some of our problem. We think too much about ourselves. <laughs> We, we, we're very self-focused. And thou shalt escape the king's house more than any, all the Jews. For if thou altogether hold thy peace at this what? At this time. You know, I think God sees time differently than you do and than I do. But in, there, are just, there are certain things in your life and my life that God has put us in for that time. Now, I like what the Bible says, at what time I am... Uh, I will trust in thee. You know, that moment of time when you feel fear, you need to quickly put that into faith. 
Many of us, we have that need for significance, to know that we matter. All of us have that need, to know that we matter and we're going to be okay. And the devil, he capitalizes on doubt, he capitalizes on discouragement, he capitalizes on lies, and he capitalizes on fear. Those are, his, those are at least four of his, of his uh, weapons, but, but lies, doubt, and fear. And when fear grips you, it's a spirit, the Bible says. God not given, thee, God given us a spirit of fear. When that, when that spirit comes, at that moment, it's a good time to trust the Lord immediately. Verbalize your trust, Lord. Say, God, I, I, I feel fearful. I know it's not from you. I trust you. You help me. Don't let me be self-absorbed in that situation. But he tells him, he said, look, uh, if you can, you can hold your peace at this time, and you can miss your moment. But then he says at the end of that verse, who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? A couple things come to my mind. What time is it? It's a time for humility. It, whenever, whenever you hit a, a, a crisis of life, and certainly Mordecai was in the gate, everything was going good, and now uh, there's a decree to kill him and every Jew that, uh, that is from that descendant. Now he's hit a crisis. When you hit a crisis, it, it, it is something about a crisis that already does this. But when we have a, hit a moment, we have, it's a time to humble ourselves. To put on the sackcloth and say, Lord, I, I can't do anything about this. I need your help. I think uh, that there are times of crisis we need to, it's a time to humble ourselves. Number two, it's a time for supplication and solidarity. It's a time to pray. It's a time, and by the way, I think to pray together. In a few moments, I'll conclude this message, but we'll have a prayer time. And I, and I know this, and I don't, I'm not critical of anybody, but I just know this. Some of us can't stand the prayer time. We don't like it. We don't like praying with somebody. I don't want to pray, I'll pray myself. But here, here I believe God's people got together. And whenever you have a time of crisis, you need a time of humility or sackcloth. You also need some time of solidarity, of coming together. And you know, Esther said, you know what, would you, would you get everybody to pray with me? Would you get everybody to fast with me? And sometimes whenever difficult times come, we do need that. We need families to come together. We need couples to come together. We need singles to come together and pray. We need our church to come together and ask the Lord for specific things. Because crisis brings a time of sackcloth or humility. It brings a time of solidarity or corporate prayer. I had a man, I don't think he goes to church anymore here, here but there were several things that he did not did not like and, and made an appointment to tell me some things. But one of the things he just did not like was the corporate prayer. He said, look, if I want to do that, I'll do that in my home. I don't need to come to church to pray. I don't mind someone leading us in prayer here and there, but that's stopping and praying for everybody. That's, 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 that's not necessary. You think it's important. I don't think it's important. But I do believe there's something special about God's people getting together and praying. I believe it's through the book of Acts. I believe the Lord Jesus pictures that. Remember whenever he, he went into the garden and he went, a, he went a stone's throw away and he came back. He said, guys, would you guys watch and pray with me that we enter not into temptation? And he goes over there and he comes back. Why do you think he came back for? Well, see, are you praying with me? Are you with me on this, this thing? And I think if the Lord Jesus did that three times, he teaches us. And where two are, are gathered together, he's in the midst. 
I think we push up against it because it's so vital and so important. I think it's something that does something for God, does something for the work of God. It's also a time not only of solidarity, of coming together, but it's a time of supplication, of prayer, and beseeching the Lord. And then I'll say lastly, I think it's a time for standing. Times of, times of, uh, of crisis need somebody to step up. And the truth of the matter is, that's why you were born. There's sometimes the Bible says a brother that is uh, the, a, a friend who is far off, or a, brother that is, a friend that is near is better than a brother far off. Is that right? Am I saying that right? If I've messed up, I'm sorry, I apologize about that. But it's talking about someone who just steps in. Thank God for people who step in when everybody else steps out. And, and I think all of us have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to say, is this my time? Is this why you made me for? Is this what my friend needs? Is this, is this one of the reasons I came into the kingdom? And the higher you go in, in your influence, the higher you go in your economics, if God gives you more, don't use it to raise your standard of living only. Use it to raise your standard of giving. So why do you have a little bit more at this season of time? Many of us just think, oh, so I can buy this and buy this, and I can have this, and I can be more comfortable. God made you a little bit more so you can help someone else who does a little bit less. I think realizing why God gave us this much light and why he's given us opportunities and taking advantage of these opportunities are extremely. Because who can tell? Who knoweth that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this, to stand in the gap for somebody, to pray for someone, to witness to that person, to, to be with that, that dear brother when they're going through, or encourage that sister that's going through a difficult time. I think times like this in crisis we can learn it's a time when we need to of sackcloth and humbling ourselves. It's a time when we pull together and have some solidarity and some prayer, and now we're working together on something. It's also a time of supplication and prayer. It's a time when we stand in the gap. He said, you, you come to the kingdom. And I, I, I thank God. Um, I thank God that sometimes God puts you in places just because you're needed at that place. And I don't say this, I, I want, I'm reluctant to say this, and I haven't thought about it, but you know, the truth of the matter is, if you didn't need a pastor, I would still be in Long Beach, California, pastoring that. One of the reasons that the Lord let me live to be 45 years old and is so I could be here with you. And I am so glad, I'm so humble, I don't want to be anywhere else in the world. But the truth of the matter is, the reason that the reason that uh, Ted Spear was here is because there was a place called Kumasi, Ghana, who needed him there. And he was there. Someone to stand in the gap on a bus route. Someone to stand a gap in prayer. Someone to stand a gap in the nursery. Someone that's there. Figure out what God made you for and say, God, help me to know this is why you gave me whatever it is, talents, treasures, to be where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there and uh, for such a time as this. Let's pray together, can we?